This week is uh, the first week of Lent. Um, if you're not familiar with Lent, um, maybe because you, you didn't grow up in the church or uh, the tradition of church that you grew up in didn't observe or practice or celebrate Lent. Uh, Lent is this kind of season before Easter. It's this roughly 40-day period where Christians try to make a focused effort on uh, sort of uh, building up their own spirit, focusing on their own spiritual growth. And so sometimes Christians will give up some things for Lent, perhaps chocolate or alcohol or social media or something like that. Uh, some other Christians might take on a practice like a spiritual discipline. They might focus on prayer or doing daily devotions or fasting or something like that. All of this is to become sort of more aware of what's, what's out of tune. What, what's out of tune within me uh, and what's out of tune within our world? We ask the questions, you know, is, is there something that... It kind of has a hold on our hearts. Is there some sin that's just kind of dug deep in my soul? Is there a need for forgiveness or reconciliation in my relationships or within the world? Or are there things in this world that need our works of, of justice and mercy? Lent, Lent is all of that, all of those attempts to try to shape our lives to look a little bit more like the life of Jesus. And for those of you who are familiar with Lent, you might be coming to this season like, really? <laughs> again? <laughs> like, like, we got we to gotta do this thing again? I have to go through this again? You don't, you don't have to. You don't have to. And, and I don't blame anyone who decides to give Lent a pass this year. But it comes to us every year, again and again, as an opportunity, as an invitation, again and again. The word Lent actually comes from an old English word uh, that means spring or spring season because, well, yeah, it takes place during the spring. But also, in a, in a deeper sense, it's because we, we try to kind of cultivate a spring within our own hearts, that, that this is the time where we, we clear out some stuff. We pull up the weeds that have been sucking the nutrients out of our hearts. We turn over the soil of our souls. We, we prune away some of those overgrown things in our lives. And what I love about the Lenten season is that it is an invitation. And we get to just kind of willingly walk into it. We volunteer ourselves to be pruned by repentance and fertilized by fasting, tilled over by the work of the Holy Spirit, mulched in prayer. Also that we might allow something new to spring forth in our lives. But another image of Lent in this season uh, that's maybe more familiar is, is that of the wilderness or the desert. We get that imagery um, from the life of Jesus, who spent 40 days in the wilderness, uh, fasting, praying, and being tempted by Satan. And so this is what uh, Mark's account of that time. This comes from Mark chapter 1. It says, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven that said, you are my son whom I dearly love in you. I find happiness. At once the spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan 
He was among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. Now, Mark doesn't waste any time in telling the story. He gets straight to the point. Um, He doesn't give us all the details that uh, the other gospels of Matthew and Luke tell us. And so you might be able to fill in some of the blanks if you remember Jesus's time in the wilderness, like how Satan tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread or throw himself off of the top of the temple or, or even how he tempted Jesus to bow down and worship him. And Satan promised that if he did that, he would give him authority over all of the kingdoms of the world. And in each temptation, Jesus resisted. But here's where we come in, right? When it's our turn in the wilderness, none of us are going to get the son of God test, okay? That that includes running the whole world or recklessly entrusting angelic bodyguards to sweep us up. No, no, no. Now we're going to get the regular old Adam and Eve test, which means that the devil won't need much more than an all-you-can-eat buffet and a tax return to get us to flunk the exam, right? Perhaps, perhaps we're stronger than that, though. One of, um, one of our favorite shows to watch on rerun is, uh, is the show Naked and Afraid. Okay. I know the pastor just said his favorite show is Naked and Afraid. It's on the Discovery Channel. If you're not familiar with it, all right? It's not smut. Well, it kind of is. Well, but whatever. Anybody watch Naked and Afraid? Yeah, it's a great show. Okay. Um, So on this show, um, it's ordinary people who are thrown into the wilderness to survive for 21 days. And they have nothing with them except for a bag. And they might be able to take like a machete or a fire starter with them. Uh, but, over the, but before the 21-day uh, challenge starts, they give a little bit of background on each person before they're sent out into the wilderness. And they give, they give the contestants sort of a, a survival rating uh, on a scale of one to 10. One being, there's no way this person is gonna make it all 21 days in the wilderness. And 10 being, they're gonna ask to stay a couple extra days because they just got this thing down packed, okay? And so Jenny and I, we, we place bets from the comfort of our couch on who we think is actually going to make it all 21 days, given their prior survival skills and background and all of that without throwing in the towel. But these people, they do this voluntarily on national television, naked and afraid. And so what, what I love about Lent is that it's kind of this like survival challenge that we volunteer ourselves for in order to maybe learn some new survival skills like dependency upon God, strength in the face of temptation, the need to forgive in the sand dunes of hurt. During Lent, we learn these kind of survival skills so that when we are thrust into the wilderness, not of our own choosing, not willingly walking into it, we might survive and maybe even thrive there. That so many of us find ourselves in the wilderness that, that we did not choose. That hard, dry, isolated place. I bet that, that all of us, have been through the wilderness before. Maybe it didn't look like a desert. Maybe for you, the wilderness looked more like a hospital waiting room. Maybe it looked like cheap sheets on a motel because you got kicked out of your house. Maybe it looked like 
not being able to find your car in the parking lot because you just got laid off. Maybe, maybe the wilderness looks familiar too. Maybe it looks like your childhood home where you've returned back to now to take care of your aging parents. Or maybe, maybe the wilderness is just that desert in the middle of your own chest where, where you've begged for a word from God, but you've only heard the wheezing bellows of your own lungs. Wildernesses come in so many shapes and sizes. The only way you can really tell that you're in one is to look around and see that there's nothing that the, that's familiar to you anymore. And you come up empty. There's no food, no earthly power, no special protection, just a Bible-quoting devil and a bunch of gritty dry sand, naked and afraid. Needless to say, the wilderness is not a place that we seek out intentionally. Most of us, in fact, uh, spend a lot of time and money to try to stay out of the wilderness. But I don't know anyone who succeeds at it, at least for very long. It's sooner or later... Each of us is going to take a wilderness exam, our own trip to the desert to discover who we really are and what our life is really all about, which sounds kind of like bad news. It is bad news, Um, but there is some good news to it. The wilderness is the most reality-based, spirit-filled places that you could ever be. Remember what happened with Jesus that after he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, baptized by John, the Holy Spirit, it says, forced him out into the wilderness. Right after, right after God gave the most profound affirmation of Jesus, this heaven split open, the voice said, this is my son whom I dearly love. Jesus' time in the wilderness, it, it was a test of his identity. It was a test of trust. Do I really believe what God has said of me? Do I believe what, about what God says about who I am? Do, do I trust that God's going to give me the strength to get through this, to survive all of this? So you have the temptations, turn these stones into bread. Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't need to do that to prove that I'm God's son. Do some daredevil act and throw yourself off of the top of the, of the temple and God will catch you. No, I don't need to do that either to prove myself as God's son. Take control for yourself. No, don't need to do that either to prove that I am God's son. It's Jesus's confidence in who God says that he is. Jesus' assurance that God is with him that gets him through these 40 days. And even though we may not face the same temptations and trials, the test of our identity is still the same. Do I believe who God says that I am? A beloved child. Do do I believe that, that God is with me through the good times and through the hard God is there again and again. That's the lesson that the wilderness offers us if we're brave enough to walk into it. The wilderness, that's where you go to encounter yourself and your false sense of self. It's where you go to listen to 
what's inside, the good, the bad, the ugly, all the things that are there in the well of your soul. It's the place where all of you is laid bare before all that God is. And so if you've spent a lot of time and or money trying to acquire whatever it takes to grow your soul, but you haven't seen any new buds spring forth, well, then maybe a little time in the wilderness would be good for you. A few weeks deciding to live on less, not more. Practicing subtraction and not addition. And that's not because your regular life is bad or anything like that, but, but you just, you need to make sure that it's your real life. The, the life that you really want to live, which can be hard when your life is filled with busyness and fast food and Netflix, it can be hard to understand what your life is really all about and what your purpose is. And so of course, we take up, we give up things for Lent. That doesn't impress anybody who questions every day whether or not they're going to eat. But in a culture like ours, a culture of plenty, I'm always impressed by people who can do without the cultural anesthesia for a little while. To give up whatever appliances or habits or substances they use to keep themselves from feeling well, what it really feels like to live the kind of lives that they do apart from all of that stuff. I mean, let's be honest, almost all of us have something, right? If not anesthesia, then we have some sort of pacifier that we always go to. Maybe it's murder mysteries or Facebook, social media. Maybe it's reruns of Seinfeld or Naked and Afraid. Or Amazon's two-day two shipping for free, right? Or, or maybe it's just the, the happy hour that happens every night. I'm not saying that those things are awful. I'm just saying that, that those things are distractions. Those things are, are pacifiers. The things that we reach for when we're, we're too tired, we're too sad, we're too alone, we're too afraid to enter into the wilderness of the present moment question that Lent leads us to is, as followers of Jesus, can we walk the walk? Can, can we walk the walk that Jesus did? And, and listen, walk. It's not a sprint. It's not a run. It's not even a light jog, okay? It's a walk. Lent is 40 whole days for figuring out what the usual painkillers are that we turn to, which when we give them up, we, we actually find out why we turn to them in the first place. Because once you take the headphones off, silence can be really loud. Once you turn off the TV, the night can seem really long. And after a while, you can start to think that all of that emptiness or, or all of that wilderness is a sign that things have gone horribly wrong. Devil on the loose, God, AWOL, huge temptations, no help from the audience at all. Not to mention your own spiritual insufficiency to thrive through these things. But after you've reached for the pacifier a few times, and you remember that it's not there, not because somebody took it from you, but because you willingly gave it up, you might discover a whole new level of conversation that you have with yourself. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm famished. 
Well, what's wrong with that? Are you dying? No. Can you stand to be hungry for a little while longer? Maybe. I guess so. Okay, so what else? You missing that dopamine hit that you got from whatever it was that you were addicted to? Yeah. I feel sad and anxious and alone. Yeah. Sorry about that, mate. Could you maybe find comfort in something else, though? Something more helpful or productive, like prayer or reading or meditating, something like that? Maybe, but I'm just so scared to be alone with my thoughts. Ah, that's it. But will it kill you to try for a season? But I don't like it. (laughs) It's not what I asked. Can you live through it? Probably not, but I'll try. You see, our minds are geniuses at telling us that that losing our pacifiers are going to kill us, but it's almost never true. I remember um, when we first weaned our two boys off of pacifiers, well, I should say when we weaned Micah off of his pacifier because Eli just spent the whole first eight months of his life screaming. um, So we couldn't ever get a pacifier in his mouth. Like he never shut it to actually suck down on one. He just screamed. But, um, but we did wean Micah off of his pacifier. Actually, I, I should say Jenny, my wife, weaned Micah off of the pacifier. Got to give credit where credit is due. Um, I was on a long trip. When I came back, she had weaned him off the pacifier, sleep trained him, gotten him off the bottle and onto sippy cups, took away his security blanket, and had him filing his own taxes, all within the seven-day span. Like... <laughs> She's impressive. Like, she looks sweet. She's a tough mama, though, okay? Um, but I remember us having this conversation. You know, we're, we're anxious, first-time parents, and we're, we're nervous about taking the passy away because we knew it would happen. There's going to be yelling and tears and temper tantrums. We knew that it was going to be this all-out brawl between two fully grown adults and a 20-inch toddler. There's going to be tears and sleepless nights and mom shaming and dad shaming. Did we do it too early? Did we use it at all? There's going to be migraines from all of this. And then we did it. We pulled the passy. Over time, weaned off distractions, all of that stuff, did all of those things. But after a season... It was over. And Jenny might remember this season of parenting better than I'm retelling it. But my point is, I'm not trying to give parenting advice or how to do anything. I'm just trying to say that we might have our own reservations about giving up the pacifiers of our lives. We might have our own hesitations about pulling the pacifiers from our own lives. The things that we depend upon, the things that we go to when we're sad or lonely or afraid or whatever it might be. But I got to tell you, all that's going to happen is we're going to suck air for a while and then we're going to hiccup, maybe shed some tears. And then we're going to look around and see the world without that colorful plastic thing in our mouth. We'll see the world in full vision without the distractions, without, without the painkillers, with, without the things that have kept us from fully living. And we'll find that, well, taking that away was actually a good thing for us and for everyone else around us. And so it would be a mistake for me to try to tell you what your 
wilderness experience is going to be like. Only, only you can do that because only you know the devils that have your number and the tricks that they use to try to get you to pick up. All I know is that a voluntary trip into the wilderness, this Lent, it's a great way to practice getting rid of those devils and getting them out of your life forever. Not only because it's where you lose your appetite for things that can't actually save you, but also because it's an opportunity to trust that the same spirit that led you into the wilderness is the spirit who's going to lead you through it and lead you out of it again and again and again. Let's pray together. Holy God, if we're honest, we're weak. God, if I'm honest, faith often feels like water in my hands. That no matter how hard I try to hold on to it, some of it always slips through, running down my arms back towards my heart. Lord, that there's this inability to hold on to you, and it leaves me thirsty for more. God, I'm not alone in this, I know. So I pray that you would meet us here. Meet us in our hope and in our heartache. Meet us in our fear and in our joy. In our cupped hands and in our clenched fists. And even if the water keeps running. And there's no parting the sky and hearing a voice from you. God, help us to trust that you are near to us. You're always and forever meeting us here. And even if we don't hear the voice, help us to know within the depths of our hearts that we are your beloved child. We thank you for naming us that, claiming us as that through Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.